Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and reading today from a book entitled The Christian in Complete Armor. It's volume one of a three-volume set. It was written by William Gurnall, the English Bible scholar and pastor who died in 1679. We're looking at number four in his divisions, an admonition to appropriate the power of his might. Paul continues his exhortation by again stressing the source of our strength. He says, and in the power of his might. Two questions come at once to mind. First, what is meant by the power of his might? And second, how does the believer avail himself of this power? First, what is the power of his might? Simply put, this phrase means his mighty power. It is like another passage, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which means to the praise of his glorious grace. Sometimes the Lord is described as strong and mighty, sometimes as almighty. What matters is that we grasp the significance of God's infinite, almighty power. And then appropriating God's power. How does the believer tap into his source of power? To be strong in the power of the Lord's might requires two acts of faith. First, you must have a settled, firm persuasion that the Lord is almighty in power. This is a foundational truth. Second, you must not only believe that God is almighty, but also that this almighty power of God is engaged for your defense. God expects you to meet every trial, every temptation, leaning on his arm. As a father walking over a rough path offers his hand to his child, so God reaches forth his power for his saints' faith to cling to. God did this for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose faith he tested above most of his saints before or since. For not one of the great things which were promised to them came to pass while they were on this earth. How then did God make himself known to them? by displaying this attribute of his power. It was all they had to keep their footing sure. They lived comfortably and died triumphantly, bequeathing the promise to their children. They never doubted, because God Almighty had promised. And now three reasons for trusting God's power. Number one, his past record. Throughout history, God has proven the sufficiency of his power. Yet it is not easy to believe that God is almighty. Moses himself was a star of the first magnitude for grace. Yet see how his faith blinks and twinkles until he overcomes his doubts. He said to God, The people among whom I am are six hundred thousand footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh, that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? This holy man lost sight for a time of the almighty power of God and began questioning how the Lord could keep his word. He might as well have said what he was obviously thinking. O oh God, have you not overestimated your power this time? What you have promised cannot be done. For so God interprets his reasoning. And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? It was the same with Mary in the New Testament. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. To this, her sister Martha added, Lord, by this time he stinketh. 
Both were godly women, yet they had serious doubts about the extent of Christ's power. One limited him to place, if thou hadst been here, as if Christ could not have saved Lazarus' life absent as well as present. The other limited him as to time, now he stinketh, as if Christ had brought his remedy too late, and the grave would not release its prisoner at his command. Despite their unbelief, God proved himself faithful. And now, Christian, before you point at the wrinkle in their faith, perhaps you should check for the holes in your own. Do not have such a high opinion of yourself as to think your own faith does not need your utmost effort continually to acknowledge the almighty power of God. When you see these heroes of the faith dash their feet against this kind of temptation, how can you be so confident? And then, secondly, your present dilemma. Without God's strength, you cannot stand in the hour of testing. The challenge is beyond the stretch of human fortitude. Just suppose all your strength is already engaged to barricade your soul against temptation, and Satan is steadily hacking away at your resolve. What will you do? You need not panic. Only send faith to cry at God's window, like the man in the parable asking his neighbor for bread at midnight, and he who keeps covenant forever will provide. When faith fails, however, and the soul has no one to send for divine intervention, the battle is all but over, and Satan will at that very moment be crossing the threshold. When you are in the midst of testing, do not give up in despair. Faith is a dogged grace. Unless your soul flatly denies the power of God, this courier, faith, will beat a well-worn path to the throne. Doubt cripples, but does not incapacitate faith. Indeed, even as you are disputing the mercy of God and questioning in your mind whether he will come to your rescue, faith will make its way, if haltingly, into his presence. And the message it delivers will be, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. But if you conclude finally that God cannot pardon or save, cannot come to your rescue, this shoots faith through the heart. Then your soul will fall at Satan's feet, too disheartened to keep the door shut any longer to his temptation. Remember this. The one who abandons faith in the midst of a spiritual drought can be compared to the fool who throws away his pitcher the first day the well is dry. Number three, his eternal desire. It has ever been and always will be the Father's will that we trust only Him. God demands to be called the Almighty. He insists we place our confidence in Him. That child is wise who does as his father bids. Man may be called wise, merciful, mighty, but only God is all-wise, all-merciful, almighty. When we leave out this prefix, all, we nickname God and we call Him by a creature's name which he will not answer to. His insistence on this particular is accented in several ways. First, in the strict command to give him glory for his power. He has made it clear in his dealings with men that all power is his, and he will not share his glory with any other. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid, but sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. And not only in the midst of a marvelous display of his might, in the darkest hour, in the least likely circumstances, faith must run to the Father with praises for his greatness. 
The severe discipline that he administers when we fail to trust him also shows the importance of acknowledging his omnipotence. Our faith is so important to God that he will sometimes chastise his dearest children when they stagger in this area. He expects us to trust him even when we come off poorly by our own standards. We are not to argue or reason. We are to submit and cling to the promise of his power poured forth for us. Zacharias merely asked the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And for daring to question the vastness of God's power, he was struck dumb on the spot. God longs for his children to believe his word, not to dispute his power. The distinguishing mark of Abraham's faith was that he was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform. To encourage our trust, the Lord often intervenes in mighty ways on behalf of his people. Sometimes he allows an opposing force to arise, so that at precisely the right moment he can raise up a more magnificent pillar of remembrance to himself. This pillar will stand in the very ruins of that which contested his power. Thus, when he intervenes, all must say, Almighty power was here. Such was the case with Lazarus. Christ stayed away until the man was dead in order to give a greater demonstration of his power. God sometimes used the same method in the Old Testament. Remember the Exodus? If God had brought Israel out of Egypt while Joseph was in favor at court, they probably would have had an easy departure. Instead, God reserved his deliverance for the reign of that proud Pharaoh who cruelly oppressed them and satisfied his lust upon them, that his children might know beyond doubt who had delivered them. God's timely intervention is a confirmation that you can believe his almighty power is yours, engaged for your defense and help in all trials and temptations. God miraculously brought Israel out of Egypt. Did he then set them down on the other side of the Red Sea to find their way to Canaan? Using their own skill and strength? No. The Lord God bare them as a man doth bear his son in all the way that they went. God makes the soul willing to come out of Satan's clutches and then brings him out of spiritual Egypt by his converting grace. When the saint is upon his march and the whole country rises up against him, how will he get safely past all his enemy's borders? God himself will enfold him in the arms of his everlasting strength. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. The power of God is that shoulder on which Christ carries you, his lost sheep, home, rejoicing as he goes. The everlasting arms of his strength are eagle's wings upon which you are both tenderly and securely conveyed to glory, Exodus 19.4. Next time we come together, we'll be talking about the fivefold bond securing God's power. Fivefold bond securing God's power. Thank you for listening, and do look around the site. We have 3,500 audios featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. If you want more fellowship, please consider buying one of my books at Amazon.com or contact me at bob 
j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. And I'll share details of our Saturday evening Zoom meeting for men, our Tuesday noon meeting for men and women. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the 5th of March, 2023. Make that the 6th of March, 2023. Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.